0: again, good morning. Let me get situated here. Good morning and welcome again. My name is George Davis. Thank you, Karen. Great to see you this morning. If you've got a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 in the New Testament. If you're new to us this morning, we're in this series where we're kind of going through this little book in the New Testament, learning what it means to follow Jesus Christ. As you're turning there, let me just remind you, if you've been around here the last couple of weeks, you know, as we're coming to the end of June, we're coming to the end of our fiscal year, and and we're, we're excited about the next ministry year, various plans, but to, to really enter the new fiscal year well, we want to make sure we finish this one strong financially, and we've gotten behind a little bit. I want to thank you already for the ways many of you have responded, and and uh, kind of joined in with us and also just remind you of of ways in which you can give, uh, just uh, different ways you can uh, participate financially through texting. You can go online at hfcinfo.com. they are offering boxes as you leave and we even have a giving uh, kiosk in the green lobby. I just want to make you aware of that. Also, I just want to say, some of you, perhaps you're newer to the church, and you're starting to feel like, okay, I'm a part of this place, and just encourage you to see that one of the ways you, you become connected in the life of the church is by partnering with us financially, so I want to encourage you to take that step, and perhaps even as we enter a, a new fiscal year, this is a great time for you to do that and, and really join in with us in, in partnering together. With ministry, So thanks already. Some of you may just want to make a final gift even before the fiscal year closes, and I want to thank you ahead of time for that as well. So we're now into the middle of summer. I don't know what your summer looks like. Let me tell you about about part of mine. One of the reasons this summer is different for me, particularly different for my family, is this summer my parents are moving. Uh, They're moving out of the home in which they've been for 42 plus years, and in moving they are downsizing. Now, some of you have been through this, and so you have had these conversations about what do we do with all the stuff, right? Some of you, you know those conversations, and we just really had some great conversations as a family, as an extended family, even have conversations with my sons, you know, what's something you would like out of your grandparents' home, and, but I've got to be honest with you, watching my parents go through this, particularly, you know, when you lived a place 42 years, there's just, there's just stuff, Watching my parents go through this from a distance has, has kind of challenged me to think through what's it going to be like when I go through this? What's that going to look like for me and my wife? I mean, I mean it's amazing to me now, you know, I can go downstairs into our basement. And I can remember 21 years ago. We lived, we'd lived in England four years. We were moving back to the United States. And I kid you not, we basically just moved and our checked pieces of luggage, and two or three extra boxes. And now I go into my basement and I look and I go, where did this stuff come from? Right over 21 years, how did it multiply? And I can't blame it all on my kids. <laughs> Although much of it I can, and, uh, right? And, I don't know, and my guess is for many of us, when, when I start to say terms like stuff, when I start to talk about clutter and the problem of clutter, some of you can readily identify, right? I think most of us know what that looks like. In fact, I think for many of us, when I start talking about clutter, your mind immediately goes to someplace in your apartment, in your home, in your, in your townhome, in your condo, There's, right? We, we know signs of clutter. Maybe it's just that junk drawer in the kitchen, where every you know, it's kind of that get here and, oh my goodness, what, look at all this stuff in the junk drawer. Or maybe, maybe you have a box like this. <laughs> right? And, it, and it, you, once again, you're kind of like, how did it get there? Where did all that, you know, it's just cords. I showed this in the first service after, so after, <laughs> after, after the service, I realized this was a hot button for one particular marriage. And I'm like, because <laughs> they're going through this right now. And she looked at me and said, you forgot the remotes. <laughs> I, I don't have the remotes. So, so you know, right? You know what this clutter, you know what it's like. in this box just of cords, phone cords, jacks to different pieces of electronic equipment, you know. Or maybe, maybe you have a garage that looks something like this. Or it has looked like this. We won't do a show of hands, but many of us have been at some season in our lives once again, with a home, apartment, or whatever, where you couldn't get the car into the garage just because of the stuff, just because of the clutter. And when we talk about the issue of clutter, the problem of clutter, um, I think there's, there's something we need to understand about it. And this is really what I've discovered just in kind of wrestling with this in my own life. And what I've realized is We know we can say clutter can be a problem. In fact, for some of you, you you know, you spent time watching one of the most popular shows on Netflix, which is all about decluttering. But we need to realize, I think, and this, hear me clearly on this, hear me carefully, the problem of clutter, I've discovered, it's not just a problem of space, right? We we get tired of the clutter because it takes up all the space. The problem of clutter is is also a problem of purpose. Because here's what I've discovered. It was, I actually bought, this belongs to a friend, but a couple of years ago I had a box just like this in my office, and and finally I just, you know, I got to deal with this, and it was all these cords. And you know what I discovered as I started actually to take the time to go through the cords? Here's what I discovered. Oh wow, that cord, that that went to a camcorder I used to own. That went to my old laptop. I haven't had that laptop in five years. And what I discovered in going through my own clutter was most of this stuff was connected to electronics that I didn't even own anymore, or it was related to features that I was never going to use. And what I realized, this this box of clutter, it wasn't just that this box was taking up space. It It was a box filled with cords that ultimately... And lost their purpose. And so they were just sitting on my shell. And, and the principle I've had to, to, to just recognize in my own life is this: When clutter is present, purpose is lost. Right? When clutter is present, purpose is lost. And I challenge you, if you've got an area cluttered, if you start to pay attention carefully, you'll see there's just stuff there that's just not being used anymore. Stuff that's lost its purpose. Right? That treadmill in the basement was never intended to be a clothes rack. (laughs) And and I'm not going to raise my hand on that one. (laughs) We'll keep that secret, right? When clutter... Is present purpose is lost. Now, I, I, I say this, and we start talking about this, not to make you feel guilty. The goal isn't to make sure you get out of here and you head right to the garage or the, the box or the closet or whatever that is. I say this to ask this question. What, what if it's possible for my life to become cluttered Internally? What if it's possible for my life to become cluttered spiritually and emotionally? What if it's possible for my very soul to look like this box of cords or that overstuffed garage? And what if it's possible because of the clutter that my true purpose and meaning in life is going lost? Because remember, when clutter is present, purpose is lost. To help us understand what this can look like and how to avoid it, let's now come back to the book of Titus. We're in Titus chapter 2. and um, If you're new with us, this is a little book uh, in the early Christian movement that was written to this Christian leader, Titus, who was working and, and leading the Christian movement on the island of Crete, and as we're going through the book, we're, we're really highlighting the idea that, that Titus, as he's giving leadership to this growing Christian movement, is being challenged to help people see what it's like to live well and do good. And that is a countercultural challenge because Titus is on this island of Crete where it just was socially acceptable to be self centered. I mean, even in the ancient Roman world, which in so many ways could be cruel and difficult. Crete was a place that was kind of considered at the top of the list, a place where people were willing to do anything to get ahead, and now Paul is saying, Titus, you've got to help people kind of think through life differently, to think through life in a way that they are living well and, and doing good toward others. They're living beyond themselves, and last week we saw, you know, Paul was encouraging Titus really to foster health, healthy community, healthy churches. He was talking about the importance of relationships, of mentoring, of intergenerational relationships that we're not intended to live in isolation. And and now he really gets to the why of what he's been talking about. Here's kind of the underlying vision that's driving what he's been talking about. Look at verses 11 and following. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Now notice how, this, notice how this section, kind of this motivational, this visionary section ends, right? Paul says, look, Titus, I'm, all that I'm talking about, it's, it's driving to the point that, that Christ is creating for himself a particular kind of people. He's creating for himself a people that are liberated from simply being self focused and going after one another. He's liberating uh, for himself and drawing to himself a people that are actually eager to do good works, eager to be part of something bigger, eager to invest in others. So so the goal is a way of life that is rooted in the gospel. And once again, this was really countercultural. I mean, that's the goal, that's what Paul is driving at, but he also acknowledged that, acknowledges that things get in the way. There are things that get in the way of this goal, there are things that clutter our lives and that was particularly true in a place like Crete, a place where it was socially acceptable to look out for number one. It's just normal. It's normal to cheat and lie if you can get ahead. It's normal to hate others who got in your way. It was normal to envy those who had stuff that you didn't have. I mean, this is, this is just the way people operate. And so Paul has the, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of building into Titus, this vision of what the gospel does, right? It brings us into this new way of life and that moves us in outward direction, but we've gotta be careful because there's, there's stuff that gets in the way. Stuff that will clutter our lives. And when the clutter is there, it it robs us of our purpose. Remember, when clutter is present, purpose is lost. Now, to understand what Paul is getting at, I want to really just highlight for you two terms, two, two terms that I think get to the big idea of this passage and this paragraph. And the first one comes right at the beginning of verse 11, right? It's it's the idea of grace. The grace of God. Now, when we talk about God's grace, we talk about God's initiative in our lives, right? God being for us. But but when, when Paul talks here about God's grace, it's not just some generic reference to the idea that God is kind, that God is loving. When Paul talks about God's grace here, it, it's particularly connected to God's work through Jesus Christ, right? For the grace of God has appeared. And underlying that statement is, is reference to the idea that, that God has been at work, right, through the life and ministry, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's where the grace of God has appeared. In fact, notice in this paragraph, Paul doesn't simply refer to the first coming of Jesus. He also refers to the return of Jesus Christ. And he uses the same kind of language, right? We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory, right? Of Jesus Christ. So this idea of appearing and God's grace appearing is rooted in the the plan of what God is doing. God's grace has appeared through the work of Jesus Christ. And now those of us who are followers of Christ, who put our faith and trust in him, we are part of this. And then even as we are part of it now, we wait for God's grace to come in its ultimate and final form when Jesus returns. So grace is centered in Jesus, right? right? Grace is centered in Jesus. Jesus. So that's kind of the first term that I want you to notice here. Now, there's a second term that I also want you to notice, and that's right at the beginning of verse 12. It's what grace does. What does Paul say grace does? Here's what Paul highlights here. It's, It's grace teaches, right? Verse 12, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, and it teaches us. Now, that's a very legitimate translation, but to be honest with you, I actually prefer the translation trains. And here's why I say that. When you and I hear the word teach, we often we can think of a classroom context. Some of you are students, right? You've been, been in a classroom. It's just great, very great to have summer break. And So when we think about teaches, we think about being in a classroom. We think about lectures. We think about gaining more information. But the term Paul uses here really is, is, it includes that, I think, but it's broader than that. It's the idea of being trained. It's, it's not simply the, about gaining new information. It's, it's really about becoming a different person with new sets of skills. So for instance, a couple of weeks ago, right, high school graduation, we were at a high school graduation of a family friend, and, and our friend during his high school career has develop expertise in welding. That's been part of his high school education. And so when you got to the graduation reception, they they had, as you'll see often at graduations, there was a display table with all the high school mementos and that sort of thing. But also included on that table were these certifications in welding. Furthermore, there were these examples of his work where you actually got to see kind of his skill in action. And I looked at that and I was like, wow, you know, this guy's gotten really good. And I thought about knowing him as a much younger guy, and realizing right, he's he's gained new skills that he didn't have before. In some ways, he's a different kind of person, and that's that's what Paul is is getting at, right? The gospel of God's grace trains us. Sometimes you you know you've, you've you've had the similar kinds of training in your work experience or something where you develop new skills and. Ultimately, in some ways, kind of perhaps became a, a different type of person. So, what, what Paul is getting at here is right, he's got this big vision for the church and people living outwardly, but underlying the vision is just the simple commitment to the truth that the, the, gospel, the gospel of grace trains us. That is, God's grace shapes us into new kinds of people with a new approach to life from the inside out. I mean, that's, that's the vision underlying this idea of living well and doing good. It's not about working harder. It's about God's grace training us into a different way of life. And so we have to come to grips with this truth that in the pages of the, pages of the New Testament, God's grace does not simply save us. It also shapes us. And so really the big idea of this passage, right, is this. Grace trains. Grace trains us. Now as I say that, notice notice that Paul says there are two ways in which God's grace trains us. First of all, he says, it, 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 it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, right? And the idea here is more than just, you know, through God's grace, we learn to avoid sinful behavior or certain behaviors. I think it goes deeper than that. The idea here is that as, as God's grace takes root in our lives, as the gospel takes root in our lives, it begins working on, on those underlying desires and motivations And attitudes at the core of who we are that move us in in the wrong direction. So notice, first of all, he says, okay, so God's grace shapes us to say no to unhealthy things, to sin and and, and other unhealthy things. But then he says, and then it kind of creates in us the opportunity to live well. So again, verse 12, right? It teaches us to live self-controlled, upright and and godly lives in this present age. So he says, look, on the one hand, God's grace teaches us to say no to certain things, but it also teaches us to say yes to a particular way of life, of living well and living outwardly, and that's how the passage will end, right? Living well and doing good. So Paul says God's grace trains us in, in these two different things, to say no and to say yes. Now, interestingly, in, in the original language, in the, the Greek of this text, grammatically, the, the emphasis is actually on the second part of this argument. It's like Paul is, is saying this. He's saying, you know what? God's grace, it moves us, it shapes us, it trains us to be people who are living lives of wholeness, of integrity living lives that we're freed up to live beyond ourselves and to live out God's love and in variety of good works in the lives of other people. He says, this is what God's grace is doing. But in order for that to happen, the clutter has got to get out of the way. The clutter's got to get out of the way. That's really the way the argument flows here. Here's the vision. God's grace is shaping you in this particular direction. But to really embrace this way of life, to really walk this path along the way, some of the clutter's going to have to come out. You're going to have to learn to say no to certain things and unlearn certain things. The clutter of unhealthy attitudes. The clutter of selfishness. The clutter of of unhealthy things from my past. The clutter of sinful habits and thought patterns. The clutter of addictive behavior. And the truth is, for some of us right now, it may feel like your life is just, it just feels adrift a little bit. Like I'm kind of going through the days but I'm not really living. It may feel like there's, there's just no deep sense of purpose and meaning that's really getting me out of bed in the morning. And if that's your experience, maybe it's the case that you know your life's just like that garage and this box has just gotten cluttered. And in the midst of all the clutter, whatever that looks like, there's been a deeper purpose that you've been losing, Because when clutter is present, purpose is lost. I think at a practical level, at a very practical level, and Paul's always good, I think, at doing this, at a practical level, this emphasis on on grace training us goes along with the fact that throughout the book, Paul emphasizes sound teaching, sound doctrine, and he also emphasizes the importance of community. We've already seen that, right? I mean, Paul talks, he's, when he's talked about Christian leaders and the leadership that we need in the church, he's talked about the importance of leaders that can create an, an environment where we're learning sound doctrine. And that's not just orthodoxy, that's, that's doctrine that brings health to us, that flows out of the gospel. So the expectation is that we're to be in, in a community where we're, and we're to be in experiences where we're interacting with the truth of the gospel now, with the, the truth of Scripture. We're being confronted by sound teaching. But beyond that, Paul also has the expectation of the book that we're going to be in healthy relationships. And we've just seen that earlier in this chapter where he's talked about the importance of relationships and community and investing in one another, even mentoring, thing, you know, learning from one another. So I think at a very practical level, Paul's expectation is one of the places in which God's grace trains us is in the context of being exposed to the truth of Scripture and I think now that includes both through our corporate gatherings, but also individually, and through the context of relationships. As we engage God's word, as we engage one another, you know, as we have conversations about life, and we can encourage one another and pray for one another, these become very concrete ways in which God's grace trains us in an ongoing manner. So for instance, I'll just give you an in- instance. So this week, Rose and I had some couples over from church, and uh, we get together together Periodically we just get together and talk about life. And so we had dinner together, and the after dinner conversation, this time centered on the issue of money. So we were talking about money and handling it, what that looks like at different seasons of life. And in the course of that conversation, we also talked about generosity and giving. And you know, as I heard just different people share their stories and experiences, it, it was it was just helpful for me. Because in in the course of talking about giving and generosity and even the things that can get in the way of it, it just brought to my mind, it reminded me of, you know, what are the things that can be at work in my own spirit that clutter generosity and giving? What What are at times those attitudes of control that get in the way of giving and generosity? What are the fears that I can have about money that get in the way of, of generosity and, and giving? So, you know, just hearing the stories of other people, and, and I, I was just reminded of that and reminded of what it can look like in, in our lives when we start to say, you know what, all of it is, it's, it's all God's. What does it look like to hold my resources with an open hand? And so just that, you know, just that tangible conversation of talking about money and giving and generosity for other people with other people, that conversation just became an opportunity for god 's grace to be at work in my life, training me in intentional ways. So the big idea here, the big idea is that, that grace trains us, grace shapes us, and in saying that, I also need to highlight this I, and this is really significant as you look at this passage and really you look at the pages of the New Testament you've got to understand that in understanding these concepts, you've got to understand they go together, okay? Because you and I, we can get into real trouble when we see one without the other. When we see one without the other, problems will arise. So for instance, maybe when I think about Christianity, maybe when I think about church and being involved in church, all I think about, all I really think about is grace. Maybe I grew up in a really, you know, challenging family environment. It wasn't a nurturing or loving environment. Maybe I grew up in a church that was the same kind of personality. And then I discovered the true meaning of the good news of Christ that's rooted in God's grace. And the fact that he died for me and that i receive this as a free gift and it's not about earning it's about receiving and now you know when i think about when i think about god when i you know even part of what i love about this church is we talk about god's grace and all of that is true and all of that is important but here's here's the danger if when i think about god's grace i always leave out the reality that God's grace trains, if I always leave that out, if I always just kind of stop with, you know, we're saved by grace, period, I think over time what I will develop is a diminished view of God's grace. And if I simply stop with, we're saved by grace, period, and that's all I want to hear, I think at some point I may just confuse God's grace with being comfortable I may confuse God's grace just with things that are convenient. You know, that must be God's will or that's what, because it's got to be in grace. We, you know, I'm just saved by grace. And what can happen is I, I can begin to kind of shy away from anything that can be challenging, stretching, convicting. I can keep people at arm's distance because maybe they see stuff that I don't want to talk about. and You know, I just, I just want to be comfortable in grace. For, even, for instance, even as we talked about this impact challenge this morning, maybe, you know, your mind just clicked off when it's like having deeper conversations with people or ever asking some more probing questions. I can never do that, right? I can never ask those more probing questions. And, and tragically, I think what we do over time is we, we actually shrink the reality of God's grace. Because God's grace sh- saves, but that same grace also, that same grace also shapes and trains. On the other hand, and to be honest with you, this is probably where some of us have gotten stuck. We can, we can, we can hear the, the words of Paul, we can read the pages of Scripture, and all we think about is training, right? You've got to live up to expectations. Here's what God did for you, now here's what you do for Him. And the tragedy, and I, I hate to have to admit that this, but I need to, is that I think many of you have grown up environments where church was all about this. You have to meet the standard. You have to live up to the expectations. And that was the only message you heard. And if that's the case, I, I, I deeply grieve for what you've experienced. Because here's the deal. When you hear this without this, what you get is legalism, right? When you hear this training, you know, way of life and then all of that, but you don't hear the context of God's grace, what you get is legalism. And, and as I've said, for some of you, that's all you've known. In fact, even in preparing this message, I realized I've got to be careful how I talk about this because for some of us, any conversation about, you know, what it means to follow Christ and obedience, it, 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 just, it can just bring back some really unhealthy memories. And yet, on the other hand, pay attention to what Paul does in this letter. Because in the same letter where Paul talks about grace shaping us and grace training us, Paul also takes legalism head on. And the reason he does this is you just you can't have this without this. Now I realize in, in saying this that grace trains us and grace shapes us, right? Grace moves us in a direction where we're following Jesus. The clutter is is needing to come out. I realize in saying that, this can still feel really heavy. And so very quickly, let let me just highlight for you the way this passage ends because I think right at the end, it's like, just to make sure Titus is hearing this, Paul highlights again the wonder of God's grace, the amazement of God's grace. And right at the end, he highlights three things that God's grace does. Verse 13 and following, he says, we're waiting for the blessed hope, right? The appearing of Jesus Christ. And then he says this, who gave himself for us. That is, it's a purpose clause. Who gave himself for the purpose of, with the intent of, with the desired outcome of, to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, who are eager to, do good, eager to do good works, eager to do what is good. And notice very quickly what he's saying about God's grace. Three realities of God's grace. First of all, it's powerful. Secondly, it is purifying. And third, it, it gives us purpose, right? He says, he says, now notice this. He says, Christ has died in order to. Now, I think often we would fill that in with, well, Christ died in order to forgive us of our sins so that we go to heaven when we die. And all of that is true. But notice how Paul fills in the blank here. In order to redeem us, here's another way to translate that. In order to liberate us. Do you realize that Christ died in order to, to liberate you? Have you thought of all the That's what he says to, to redeem you, to liberate you. And, and what that means is the clutter. The clutter doesn't have to have the final word. In your life. And maybe for some of you, what you need to do this week is you need to take a post-it note or a three-by-five card. And you're going to need to put it in some place of prominence on your mirror, on your dash, on the visor of your car. And you just fill in this blank. Christ died to free me from blank. Just to remind yourself, the clutter doesn't have to have the last word. Christ died to free me from fear. Christ died to free me from lust. Christ died to free me from critical speech. Christ died to free me from always presuming the worst. Maybe, right? I mean, Paul is reminding us of of God's grace, and he says, first of all, Christ is is, is died to liberate us. This this grace is powerful. Secondly, notice he he talks about it, it being purifying to cleanse us. This is a powerful image. i got to be honest with you. I, uh, I do sometimes things that are uh, absent-minded. And one of the most absent-minded things I've done over the last few years has been this. I think this was five or six years ago I was at a, a theology conference. And, and as best I can tell, sometime during the afternoon of one of these days, I pulled out a, pulled out a highlighter from my pocket. I got out the program and I highlighted, I highlighted the breakout sessions I wanted to go to next. And I don't know what happened, but somehow, maybe I got got into a conversation or I got distracted, but somehow, after I did that, I put the pen back in my pocket, but I forgot to put the lid back on. So I put put the pen in just like this with the tip first. Now, to make the embarrassment complete, I was wearing a white shirt, and I, I didn't notice it. So apparently, for the next little while, and this could have even been several hours, the fact that I'd rammed that pin into, the highlighter into my pocket, it was leaking on this white shirt. And so there was a growing yellow target. (laughs) Thank thank you for the sympathy and encouragement. Uh, Right, there was a growing yellow target on my chest, this flashing yellow light that said, loser, 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 right? (laughs) Finally, I I ran into some friends, and one of the guys had the courtesy to say, Do you know your pen's leaking? And and I just looked down in horror. And of course, as quickly as I could, I made my excuses to get out of that conversation. I headed to the nearest exit. I pulled out that program, right? The aforementioned program. And I held it right here over the spot. And I got out of the conference as quickly as I could. And I, you know, I got back to my hotel and found the most inconspicuous elevator to get back to my room and change search. Now, why did I do all that? Because I was stained. I was stained. Some of you, maybe you're here and you you just feel stained. Stained from your past. Stained from some moment in your life where you, you can't go back and undo the decisions and results of the decisions that you made. various reasons we can we can feel stained but notice paul says look the grace of god it's it's not it's about forgiveness but it's, it's, it's so much more it it liberates us and it purifies us and remember he's saying this to people that are in this crazy culture where their lives have been stained by who knows what But he says, this this is what God's grace is now doing in your life. It's it's freeing you. It can can cleanse you, right? It purifies you. And in doing that, he's bringing us together as a group of people who can now live beyond ourselves, eager to do what is good. I mean, this, this impact challenge is just one concrete example of taking the message of this book seriously. Right in the grace of God, we can be freed up to live beyond ourselves. So the big idea is simply this. God's grace, it it trains us. You see, God's grace, it doesn't simply save us. It also shapes us. It doesn't simply save us. It also shapes us. Would you pray with me? And as we kind of go to prayer, let me just, let me just encourage you to think about two questions. And the questions are these. How, how is God's grace training you right now? And as you think about that, is there some clutter that he is wanting to remove Because it's just getting in the way. Is there some clutter he is wanting to remove because it's just getting in the way? Let's pray together. Father, we are challenged in this passage to understand that not only does grace say, but it also shapes, it trains. Father, in saying that, I realize for some of us that still, that really just feels like a heavy message. So we have to hear it within the context of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The good news of your initiative on in our lives. And Father, I pray for some of us here today that maybe it, it really does feel like our lives are like that box of cords or that, or that garage. They're just cluttered. And in the midst of the clutter, something has been lost. So I pray we would hear just the invitation of your spirit this morning allow that grace of yours to be at work in and, and helping move the junk out so that we can embrace this way of life that has purpose and meaning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.